God is good? And all the time? You know, I'm, I'm thankful that even, like uh, Ben said, even when I don't feel like it's good, that I know God is still good. And I hope that that's uh, your understanding. I hope that's what you believe about God, that even in the difficult times, God is not surprised by it, and God is in control, and ultimately God is good. So thank you for being here. I'm going to invite you to turn to John 17. John 17, and uh, in case you don't know, my name is John, and I am uh, blessed to be the pastor here. And uh, if you're new or maybe you've been a few times, but I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love the opportunity to connect with you, my wife and I. Uh, Joy, we will be right out in the foyer as soon as we're dismissed. I'd love that opportunity to connect with you and get to know you. And uh, so we are in our uh, second week of a new series. So we started a new series last Sunday, the first Sunday of of the year. And we started from John 17, which we're going to start from again this morning. But in John 17 there, we uh, we see the prayer of Jesus. So in John 13 begins this teaching of Jesus that is what we would now term as the upper room or the last supper. And so in this few chapters from John 13 to John 17, Jesus would wash the disciples' feet. He would tell them that this is a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Then he would say that all people will know you're my disciples by how you love one another, how we in the church love, serve, and care for one another. Then he would talk about in John 14, 6, he'd say, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to God except through Jesus, through himself. John 15, he would talk about how we are to abide in Christ, and apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And so all these teachings, as he also kind of walks through in these chapters, the role of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would comfort the Holy Spirit would teach, the Holy Spirit would instruct, the Holy Spirit would be what would be termed as the helper. And the reason Jesus is telling him all this is because he knows in just a few hours he's going to be arrested, he's going to be put on trial, he's going to be crucified. Three days later he would come back to life, then he would show himself to them, and then he would ascend into heaven. And so what he wanted them to understand is you're not going to be alone. In fact, what he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm sending the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so all this teaching goes on, and at the end of this teaching session, right before they're going to walk out to the garden, he's going to pray again in the garden. The soldiers are going to come and arrest him. He closes their time in this teaching in prayer. And what we have, uh, as, as Ben alluded to and, and mentioned, the 40 days of prayer, we're starting this year, 2020, with 40 days of prayer and fasting. Again, we're not recommending that you fast from food for 40 days. You would probably be dead, all right? We're not necessarily, but we were asking you to maybe go online. You can sign up in, in the foyer out at the connection centers and sign up for maybe one day that you're going to fast, maybe one day faster. From Some of you can't do that for health reasons. Uh, my wife and I, we're, we're committed to fast every Wednesday for this 40-day period and just really spend some intentional time in prayer asking and praying the same prayer that Jesus prayed. And, and so this word that you're going to hear all year is one. Okay, and, and so I want to challenge you. The last couple of years we've asked you to set your phone, your alarm for a certain time of the day based on a certain scripture. And so today or this year, if you haven't done it already, in fact, you can get your phone out right now if you would like. Pretend like you're doing what I'm asking you to do and be on Facebook or whatever you want to do. But I'm going to challenge you, everyone, to set their phone alarm for one o'clock. Right? And so at 1 o'clock every day, 
You can choose AM or PM. That's up to you. Both, if you would like. I chose 1 p.m. And so every day at 1 o'clock, my phone, my alarm goes off, and I want to spend one minute every day at 1 praying that our church would be 1. You guys are so smart, all right? You all got your head in your phone setting your alarm, all right? So every day at 1, I'm going to pray for one minute that our church would be 1. Because, not, not just because I want to pray for that, but let's look at the prayer of Jesus. So as he, John 17 is his prayer before he's going to go into the garden, before he's arrested. And in the first verses 1 through 5, he prays for himself, that he would glorify God, that God would glorify him. And then in verses 6 through 19, he prays for the disciples, that God would give them courage, that God would keep them, protect them from the evil one, that God would, would give them an opportunity to share who he is, that they would point people to Jesus. And then in verses 20 and, and tw- through 23, he prays for uh, future believers. Okay, so specifically, he's praying for the church. So the church is anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ, but then I think we also can apply it to here locally as our church, that we want to be one. And why are we praying that? Well, let's look at the scripture in John 17, starting in verse 20. All right, again, this is Jesus talking, Jesus praying. So in his prayer, verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone. In other words, he's referencing the disciples who are in the room with him. I'm not just praying for the disciples here, which he's just been doing. But he says, I I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, future believers, the church. Verse 21, why is he praying? So he says in verse 20, I'm praying for future believers. I'm praying for the church that they will be, say it with me, one that they will be one as you, Father, and me, and I, and you, that they may also be one in us. So here's the prayer. I'm praying for future believers. I'm praying for the church that they would be one, that they understand what this one means. It means unity, that they're going to be together, that they're going to be focused, that they're going to be on mission. And then he answers or he tells us the why behind the prayer. I'm praying that they will be unified. And then he says, as he continues in verse 21, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is praying that we as a church would be one in unity, focused on the purpose, on the mission, so that the people who aren't a part of our church, who don't know Jesus, would believe in Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves the question this morning, do we want people to know who Jesus is, yes or no? Do we want people to know who Jesus is, yes or no? So if we want people to know who Jesus is, what Jesus then would tell us is that we need to pray that we would be one, that we would live in unity. All right, let's continue reading. Verse uh, 23 then says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Again, he's praying the same prayer, that we would be one. And then he gives us a secondary or the second reason why he is praying that we would be unified. Again, he says, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. So we want to spend this year praying that God would allow us to be one, unity, so that the the lost world, people who don't know Jesus, would believe who Jesus is and they would know the love of God in their life. It sounds very familiar to probably one of the most quoted verses in Scripture. For God so loved the world. So we want people to know that God loves them. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever what? Believes in Jesus 
should not perish but have everlasting life. So we want people to know God's love and to believe in Jesus because it's life-changing, isn't it? Right, so this prayer, we, we challenged you last week, if you were here, to really pray that we would be one so that people would know and believe. Listen to this statement. Do you believe that this community needs Jesus, yes or no? Do you believe there's a lot of people in your neighborhood, my neighborhood, our church neighborhood that need Jesus? And, and how are they going to know? Well, well, Jesus tells us if we would be unified as a church, they would know and they would believe. So if we really believe that this community, which our church sits in, there's a lot of people who need Jesus, listen to this statement. If we as a church, if we're going to be a faith community that reaches our community, we must live in community. Let, let me say it again. If we're going to be a faith community that reaches our local community, we must live in community. What does that mean? It means we're going to listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. If we become one, loving one another, serving one another, what Jesus is praying is that as we do that, people will know and people will believe. So two statements that I want, us to, I want you to just wrestle with in your mind to continue to process. In fact, I would encourage you to write them down. As we think about unity, as we think about the reason we want to be unified, it's, be, it's always for the gospel. It's always so people would know and believe. Listen to these two statements. Mission trumps method. Mission trumps method. One of the reasons it's hard to be unified is sometimes we reverse those. Okay, mission trumps method. So I want you to write it down. I want you to think about it. The next one here on the screen says purpose trumps preference. Purpose trumps preference. In other words, I don't always get it the way I want it, unfortunately. But why? It always has to point back to our mission and our method. If we will stay focused on the mission and the method, if I will stay focused on the mission and the method, then we as a church can be one, and then our community can see and know who Jesus is. And we all want them to know Jesus, correct? We all want them to know Jesus, correct? Is it worth it to us, then, to focus on the mission and the purpose? Let me answer it for you. Yes. Okay? Now, we're going to spend the next few weeks kind of re talking about our goal to be one. We understand the prayer of Jesus, but let's get some practical areas and, and ways of how we could be one. And we're going to, the next few weeks, spend in Ephesians. So turn me to Ephesians chapter 3. Right? So Ephesians chapter 3 is we're going to be at uh, this week. And we're going to be all through the book of Ephesians the next few weeks because Paul talks a lot about this. In fact, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays out who we are in Christ. So he lays out positionally who we are in Christ, that we are a new creation, that we were once strangers, have been brought near. We were once orphans, we've been adopted. Uh, we were once uh, aliens, strangers, we've been made citizens of God's kingdom. And so for the first three chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, that's what Paul talks about. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, now Paul transitions because of who we are positionally, how are we going to live that out practically? Okay, just because we are in Christ, now we have to live like we are in Christ. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? So 
chapters 1 through 3, positionally who we are in Christ, chapters 4, 5, and 6, practically what does that look like? All right, so we're going to see that pattern even in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. All right, so look in Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So before we get into the prayer, let's pause for a moment, because he, he makes this transitional statement. Look at the first few, verse, a few words of chapter 14. For this reason. What's the reason that he's about to pray? Why is he about to pray for the church? And we'll get into what the prayer is, but let's first look at why he's praying this. Turn back probably one page to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, as we think through this, Paul is saying who we are positionally in Christ. How does that live out practically in our church or in our community or in our workplace? Why is he praying? For this reason, I pray, and then he gets into his prayer. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 14. For he himself is our peace. So there's understanding here. Paul is saying, because for he, who's the he? It's Jesus. For Jesus himself is our peace. And then it goes on. Who has made both one you might circle that word as we're going to talk about this all year. For he himself, Jesus is our peace, who's made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man. He's speaking of the church. So specifically, he's referencing the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's saying, I have now made you one, which Paul would later write in Galatians, there's neither Greek or Jew, there's neither male or female, free or slave. We're all one in who? Christ. We're all one in Christ. And that's what he's saying here. Let, let's keep reading. Uh, a new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both, all people, to God in one body. One the body of Christ, through the cross. Jesus became our peace. He's reconciled us to God. All mankind has have the opportunity to be reconciled to God, and we become one body in Christ. So Paul is saying, positionally, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are already one. There's no difference. Similar to when Ben was referencing shame and guilt. The reality is we are all sinners. We are all guilty. We all have shame. We all have guilt, except when we turn our life over to Jesus, guess what? He says no more shame and no more guilt. So Paul is saying positionally, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're one. We're together. We have uni, which is why later in Ephesians chapter 4, he would say endeavoring to keep the peace, endeavoring to keep the unity, because positionally we're one in Christ. Practically, let's be real honest, sometimes we're not so one, are we? We have arguments. We have disagreements. And so Paul is saying, would you live practically what you are positionally? One in Christ. Now, Maybe you heard a clarifying statement I said in there. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, what Paul is saying 
we're one body. We're in Christ. But that only relates, that only applies to people who are followers of Jesus Christ. Why do we want to live in unity? So people who are not followers of Jesus Christ will become followers of Jesus Christ. So, so maybe this morning you're here and you don't even know what it means to follow Christ. You know what it means to be one in Christ. You don't know even maybe who, who is this Jesus we, we keep talking about or keep hearing it that we've been singing about. And let me just explain very quickly what I mean. How can we be one in Christ? The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Especially me. Okay, we're all sinners. And the punishment for sin has always been death that I'm separated from a holy, righteous God. Because God is holy, because God is righteous, I can't enter in his presence because I'm a sinner. That's always been the punishment for sin. Because I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God. But God made a way, and we just read about this, God made a way to reconcile us unto God through the cross. Jesus died in my place. And so in order for me to be one in Christ, I must admit I'm a sinner, and I must believe that Jesus died for me. I must believe that he died for my sins, and it was my sins that placed him there. Thirdly, I must confess, Jesus is the only way. Do you believe Jesus is the only way to God? That's confession. I believe, Jesus, you're the only way I can get to God. I admit today, God, that I'm a sinner, that I need forgiveness of my sins. I'm believing today that Jesus died for my sins. I admit, I believe, I confess. And if you do those three things, what God says, if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you shall be the words in the Bible is saved. That means reconciled to God. That means redeemed. That means forgiven. That means no more shame, no more guilt. You are one with Christ. So I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, maybe, maybe you need to do, take those three steps. You need to admit and believe and confess. And Let me encourage you, you can do that right now. You don't have to wait for me to be quiet. You can do it right now. You can talk to God right where you're at. You can admit, God, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me, and I confess the only way to God is Jesus. You can do it right now. But maybe you want some clarification on that. At the end of our service, there's going to be people standing down here. I'll be standing right there. There's going to be men and women up here. And if you would like to give your life to Jesus, you'd like to be one in Christ, what we're talking about, I would encourage you. We're going to stand in a while. We're going to sing a song, walk down, shake somebody's hand and said, real simple, I want to be one with Christ. Everybody shake your head with me, okay? We all understand. It's very simple. You don't have to wait. You can do it right now. You can do it right where you're seated. Admit, believe, and confess. So everyone who's admitted, believed, and confessed, what Paul is saying, positionally, we are one in Christ. We have peace. We have unity because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, all right? Now, let's get into his prayer. Okay, so turn back, probably a page, back to Ephesians chapter 3. His prayer for the church, for the believers, begins in verse 16. Here's what he says. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, that you may be filled 
with all the fullness of God. Let's unpack that a little bit this morning. Again, Paul is praying for the church. He's praying for us, and he's praying that as a church, that a local body of Christ, because we're one in Christ, how should we live? What should that look like? And and, and so you can fill out the blanks. We're going to walk through them pretty quick this morning. Paul prays that, number one, we would be strengthened. There in verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit who indwells us. So the moment you give your life to Christ, God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit who dwells in you would give you strength. That he would give you strength to make good decisions. That he would give you strength to make uh, the right choices. He would give you the strength to, to live practically what God says you are positionally. All right, number two. He's praying that we, as believers, that we are one in Christ, we would be rooted, okay, we would be rooted, look what verse 17 says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, that you would be grounded, rooted in the knowledge that God loves you. It's, it's interesting to me that the words that Paul uses here. He's, he says, I want you to comprehend the, the depth of God's love. Then he goes on to say, oh, by the way, the depth of God's love is beyond your understanding. Do you realize that the closer you get to God, the, the more you get to know God, the more you spend time with God, the more you understand how much he loves you. When I really understand that it was my sins that caused Jesus to hang on the cross, the more I begin to understand the love of God. For those of you who are parents, wasn't it amazing when you had your first child and you realized how much I love this little alien-looking thing. And you begin to get a little more understanding of how much God loves you. Then they become a teenager. You don't like them anymore. But you realize how much you still what. And you begin to get a little bit greater understanding of God's love for you. You know, teenagers get the bad rap, right? And, and I'll just be honest, I lived up to every stereotype of a bad teenager, all right? So that's, that's for what it is. But do you realize the way I act towards God? In, in all honesty, being completely just transparent before you this morning, the offense that I still daily give to my, my father doesn't even begin to compare to the love he has for me. I was a rebellious, smart mouth kid. Still kind of am at times. But you know what? That, the rebellion I showed to my parents doesn't even compare to the rebellion I still daily show to God.
Are, are you similar to me probably? Yeah. So when I understand, when my kids became teenagers, and they, I don't know where they got this smart mouth from. You know what it gave me a greater understanding for? My parents. Their patience. Sometimes they had their love. And you know what then that gave me a greater understanding for? How much God loves me. And Paul is saying, I want you to be rooted in the knowledge of how good God is. Because when I understand how good God is, everything changes. Number three, Paul prays that we'd be strengthened, we'd be rooted, and that we'd be filled. That we'd be filled with the knowledge of who God is. That we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That we'd be filled, again, here's where he says, that we'd know the love of Christ, oh, by the way, which passes all knowledge. That we, in, in other words, guess what? You're never going to completely, fully understand and comprehend how much God loves you. Every step closer you get to that, every time you make those decisions, say, God, I, I, today I realize that my sin put you on the cross, and today I understand a little more how much you love me. That Jesus would willingly lay his life down for me because of my sins and every day that I get a little bit closer a little bit more understanding then I also realize that I'm never going to reach full comprehension of how much God loves me and I'm never going to completely grasp how offensive my sins are to God but Paul wants us to go on that journey Paul is pressing into us that we would be strengthened, that we'd be rooted, that we begin to fully understand how much God loves us and how much our sin really did separate us from God. And as we get a deeper understanding of God's love, what he is now saying is we, as we understand God's love, are in a better position to love others as Christ loved us. When I come to the realization that I don't, I don't deserve anything God gives me, I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his forgiveness. And even in the position that God has allowed me to be in now, I still turn my back on God. And I still, like that teenage, 13-year-old rebellious boy saying, is that all you got? And God still loves me. He's still, what are we just saying? He's, he's running after me. He's pursuing me. The one time I was stupid enough to run away, you know what my dad did? Got in the car and came looking for me. I, I think he wanted to beat me, but anyways, he, he did come <laughs> looking for me. God will never stop pursuing you. God will never stop running after you. That's what Paul's wanting us to understand, the depth of God's love for us. He, he loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. And what Paul is praying is that the church would wrap their brain around the fact that positionally we are one in Christ because of what he's done for us. And practically that we would live that out so that the rest of the world could know. And we get so focused, and let me quit saying we, me. I get so focused on what I want, my agenda, my thoughts, me, that I forget about everyone else. And I stop loving you as Christ loved you. And I stop loving you as Christ loved me. 
we must listen to the words of Christ. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. But let me give you some practical thoughts for a moment. Paul is praying we strengthen, we be rooted, we be filled. And, and can I be real honest? You know what? I'm going to give you the good statistic. I'm going to give the higher percentage. They say, uh, you can find a lot of statistics out there, right? But they say, that, and this is the highest one I could find, that churchgoers, of churchgoers, so let's say us today, those of us who are here at church, that churchgoers, that only, they say only, and again, this is the highest number I could find, that only 30% of churchgoers actually have a habit of reading their Bible every day. 30%. I found some that said 16%, 19%, so I'm, we're good. 30%, right? We're going we're gonna to say 30%. That's still not very good, is it? Listen, so here's the, the practical application this morning. Paul is praying for us to be rooted, strengthened, and filled. And, and let me be honest with you. You as a believer, you as a follower of Jesus, you're never going to live out practically who you are positionally if you're not in God's word. If you're not daily reading God's word, you're not daily allowing God to speak into your life, then you are not growing as a Christian. It's no, there's no way for you to grow as a Christian if you are not daily in the word of God. And the truth is the Bible is so available for us. It's more available in our culture than it ever has been in the history of the world. And yet, 30%, the high number, mind you, actually take time. You know, that's why every year and all the time we're asking you to pick up out there in the foyer a daily reading plan. That's why we have it on the YouVersion Bible app every Sunday so that maybe you would pick up a habit of opening up your phone and not just doing Facebook, but getting on your YouVersion Bible app and reading and being in God's word every single day. Listen, Paul is praying. Because of who you are positionally in Christ and one, we all know why we want to be one. We all know why we want unity, because Jesus said, people will know and people believe. And Paul is praying, because of who you are positionally, live that out practically. And you're never going to live it out practically if you're not in God's word. We are never going to be the church God has asked us to be. We're never going to live in community. We're never going to live in unity. We're never going to reach the lost for Christ if we aren't daily in God's word. Because the truth is, living in unity with people like you and me is not easy. Can I get an amen? Look around. There's some weird people in this room. And we all have different preferences. We all have different ideas of way this should be or that should be. That's just, that's life, isn't it? You know, how many of you have been married for more than 30 years? Raise your hand. I didn't realize, man, I am almost at that number. That made me sound so whatever. Anyways, I got to have to breathe. (laughs) Sorry, but that sounds like old people. Uh, Anyways, I'm one of you, I guess. How many of you still have a fight over the thermostat? So there's two of you, and you can't get along over one thing. So yeah, it's, it, that's why in chapter 4, Paul says, endeavoring to keep the peace, you got to try. Listen, if I'm trying in my strength, it's not going to happen. If you're trying in your strength to live in unity with other believers and serve, serve others like Christ served you, it's not going to happen. 
the only way, and that's why Paul is saying, I want you to be filled from the Holy Spirit who's in your inner man. And the only way that you are going to grow as a Christian is if you're in God's word. And it's sad to say, a lot of people aren't. If you're not in the Bible every day, trust me, you're not growing as a Christian. Let me read just a few verses of Scripture from Psalms 1. We don't have time to turn there unless you're really quick, but let me just read Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Verse 2 is the key here. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And how often does he meditate on it? Day and night. He shall be like a tree planted. Do you see the words that Paul was using that be rooted, that would be grounded? And if we're not rooted and grounded in the God's word, daily meditating day and night, let's read this. Verse 3. He shall be planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall what? Prosper. The ungodly are not so. Okay, and it's real easy for us as churchgoers to say the ungodly, and who do we think of? Those ungodly people. It's not me. It can't be me. Right? Are you, are, shake your head. At least agree with me in theory, okay? But let's think in the context. Bless the man who doesn't do these things, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Couldn't we infer then that what the author is saying here is the ungodly are those who don't do what? Meditate on his word day and night. Well, now it's getting real in here. Because if our church is the average church, then if we are going to apply this psalm to us, what it is saying is 70% would fall in which category? I wanted you to say it, not me. What's going to happen to the ungodly? The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. So let's bring this to a close. Because we could, I could talk a long time about this, trust me. Do we want our church to be in unity, yes or no? And we understand the why behind that. It's so the lost world will see Jesus. Is that what we want? Yes or no? And Paul is praying that we be strengthened and filled and that we be rooted. Those three things are not going to happen unless I'm in God's word. What's the end of all this? The last point says, why, why would we do this? Why would we live in unity? Why would we encourage each other to be strengthened and filled and rooted? Why would we get into God's word? It's so that God would be glorified. It's always back to his glory, not ours. It's, it's not so that our church would grow. It's not so that all the seats would be filled. It's not so that we can go to two services every Sunday morning and, and be, oh, wow, look, look at us. It's always, I want to live in unity so the lost world can see Jesus and God will be glorified. Do you want God to be glorified in your life? God is not going to be glorified in your life if you don't make reading his word a priority. 
Showing up for church is not enough. Hey, honey, where, where did I put my Bible? It's church time. For some of you, you've got an easy out because you're just going to use your phone, right? If I want God to be glorified in my life, I'm going to have to be rooted, I'm going to be strengthened, and I'm going to be filled. And that's not going to happen if I'm not in his word. If I'm not daily meditating, spending time with my Lord. Here's the result of spending more time with God. You're going to understand how much he loves you, how much he's running after you, and how much he wants to use you so he can be glorified. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Again, we're going to have a time of response. I've already mentioned there's going to be people down here. If you would like for one of us to pray with you, maybe this morning you need to come and uh, come forward. Last week you came forward and said, God, I'm going to pray that we're going to be unified. And, oh, wow, it's getting a little more difficult now because in order for us to be unified, in order for us to be one, God, there's some, there's some things I'm going to have to do. There's some things practically that I'm going to have to do. And one of those is I'm going to have to be in God's word. So maybe this morning you need to come forward and say, God, I'm going to recommit my life to be in your word daily. I'm committing to grow as a Christian so that I can understand the depth of your love so that I will be, it would be much easier for me to give that love to others. And maybe this morning, God has revealed to you, you need to be one in Christ. You need to give your life to Christ. And I've already explained to you, there's gonna be people down here, you can walk forward this morning, just shake their hand and say, I wanna be one in Christ. They would love to open up their Bible and show you how you can admit you can believe and you can confess we're never going to be the church God wants us to be you're never going to be the Christian God wants you to be if you're not in his word and you're not daily saying God I need you I can't do it on my own I can't do it in my own strength I must be filled strengthened and rooted God, we love you today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to be in your house and to worship. Lord, convict us of our sin, our apathy, Lord, our laziness. Help us to get in your word. Help us to know you more. Help us to, to respond to your love by loving others. Help us in those last few minutes of our service just to worship you, to cry out as a church, Lord, we need you. We confess. We need you. Would you stand with me this morning? And we're going to sing that song this morning. Lord, we need you. God, we can't do this on you. We can't be in unity. We know positionally we are, but Lord, it's difficult practically. Let's, let's worship together this morning. Lord, we need you.